Good morning. Good morning, Main Street. So happy that you're all here this morning with us. For those of you joining online, so happy that you've joined us as well. Before I get into anything, I've been asked to go for you to go ahead and pick up your pew pads and start writing your name in them right now so we can have them and pass them on down to your row. So they should be on one end of the row. So if you could start doing that, that would be awesome. Um, I'm so glad that you're all here today. I pray that we have a wonderful, wonderful experience with God and one another. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then our praise band is going to lead us in worship, and we'll get things started, okay? So let's pray. Dear God, uh, we come to you, hopefully open to everything that you have for us today. We know that whatever we put into something, what, you know, we will get out of it. So help us to put all that we are into you this morning so that we can engage you and fully experience the love that you have for us the love that you have for each other and the love that you have for creation, God, so that we can in turn give that love to those that we encounter and to the creation that we get to enjoy every single day. We welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, help us to be focused on you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
morning. Please be seated. The Lord be with you. We are so honored that you've chosen this day to be a part of the life of the church called Main Street United Methodist, and we hope that you have already experienced God and can want to continue that in this morning. Just a few names to list that we want to continue to pray for. Let's pray for um, Dudley Dearman and Tim Cole who continue to receive cancer treatment. Charlene Singleton is home recuperating from a fall, and Paul Wohlheater um, had been in the hospital with a really bad case of pneumonia and is now home. Uh, Karen Wiseman is having shoulder repair surgery tomorrow. And Janie and Peter Camp have a new grandchild, Charlotte Camp Tillett, um, daughter of Calder and Alex Tillett. So we want to celebrate with them this morning. Do you have names that you would like to share this morning? Yes. Rick Bedwell. Okay. Edward Swindle. Well, let's pray the prayer that's on the screen. Almighty God, grant that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy. Bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. Lord, in your mercy. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, especially those we've named here and probably who are in our minds that we didn't say aloud. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation, Lord, in your mercy. We offer these prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Please stand as we continue in worship.
morning. If our children will come forward. Can't see you out there. Good morning. Lord James, I love your dress. So pretty. Come on, come on. All right. Today is going to be my birthday. I know you're celebrating it with Miss Tina, aren't you? All right. There's my Royals, boys. Good. I'm glad you brought it. Okay. It is your mama's birthday, so everybody make sure you say happy birthday to Miss Rebecca today. I, you know what? Have you ever made paper snowflakes? Have you ever made paper snowflakes? We actually, if you were in children's church last year, we made some paper snowflakes in, in children's church. You've made some snowflake cookies? Just cookies. All right. Um, those may, uh, snow, paper snowflakes may be the only snowflakes that we get to see, right? So, you know, you have to have some paper and then you just kind of start with the cutting, right? It's a great way to decorate. And snow is so very white. Has anybody ever been on a trip where there's been snow or you remember some snow? Sometimes snow right here in South Mississippi isn't that white, is it? You've yeah. been somewhere where there's snow? Hey, yeah, yeah. Snow is so white, isn't it? Hey, hey. Just to my Santa did. Yeah, my you must dad. have been good. You know what? Snow is so very white. It's even whiter than the beaches. And I think beaches are really white. But snow is even whiter than beaches. And do you know, I really can't think of anything else that is whiter than snow but the, the, but the Bible says, you can drop it in there. The Bible says that when God forgives our sins, we are whiter than snow. And that's really cool, isn't it? So let's see. It's, it's pretty. Did you know that whenever I fold another piece and I cut another one, it's going to look different. Have you ever heard that no two snowflakes are alike? Have you ever heard that? God makes every single snowflake to look differently. And I have a dirty little secret about snowflakes. Y'all want to know it? Want to know my dirty little secret? To build a snowflake, you have to have dust little particle of dust is how a snowflake begins and the ice crystals form around it and they just keep building and building and building until it becomes a beautiful snowflake the way that we think snow looks but deep down in the snowflake it's actually dirty you know what I kind of thought about myself Sometimes I might look all nice and neat and clean and smell good, but you know what? On the inside, I kind of feel sad or angry or maybe somebody's hurt my feelings and I kind of don't feel that way on the inside. I kind of feel dirty on the inside. But God doesn't want our hearts to be dirty. He wants our hearts to be wider than snow. Did you know what, Julia? Come here. Let me tell you something. It's okay. Each one of you is different. God makes you unique just like he makes that snowflake unique. There's not another you anywhere ever, has been, ever will be, another you. Even our twins are different, huh? Look at that. Okay, so... You know what we're going to do? We are going to go upstairs and we're going to do some science experiments that should be done with snow so we have a bunch of ice. How about that? Okay, so it's going to be a little cold, but that's all right. Okay, so let's bow our heads and say a prayer and then we'll go upstairs together. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to worship you and to learn more about you. And thank you for the beauty and the uniqueness of a snowflake and the lessons that we can learn from them. And this week, 
May your love shine through each one of us brightly everywhere we go. And in your name we always pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning again. While they're exiting, I want to kind of uh, clue you into the life of our church and um, the giving patterns that you exhibited this past year. We had a, a $1.3 million budget, and you gave uh, about $14,000 less than that, which is remarkable. I mean, that's a really close. Out of $1.3 million, you gave like $1.21 million. Something. It was really... And we spent... Um, 31000 less than that, so we ended the year with a $16,000 surplus, which also remarkable. So, But y'all make the pastor here sweat it. In the second week of November, we were $130,000 in the red. So thank you for not making me freak out totally in the new year, but um, <clears throat> you know, thank you for your giving. We're going to need it again in the new year. What the next? I've, I've already had a conversation with the finance committee, and the next year's budget will be what you gave this year. So we're going to cut the budget down to $14,000 or so. Um, but we need your continued giving. And, of course, everything's going up just like it is in your household. And so please continue to remember your church and your uh, charitable giving. It does make a difference in our life and keeps the hair on your pastor's head. Um, if you would uh, go ahead and put the statement of faith up, we'll speak that together. I hope that in this new year when you're trying to make a lot of resolutions about the rest of your life that faith is also one of the resolutions you're making. So let's share kind of the statement of faith together to kind of remind us what we're about. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, is the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about, um, do we believe that we have a faith that's worth sharing? And so today, to kind of get us in line with that, the text is from Matthew 4, 12 through 23. And if you'll read the odd-numbered verses with me. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of God, heaven has come. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for the people of God. <clears throat> Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we've heard this call story many times. <clears throat> <clears throat> Help us to hear it with fresh ears today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> of course, I haven't had coughed all day, and I'm going to cough now that I'm standing up. Would somebody just get me a, a little bit of coffee and a cup back there in case I have a coughing fit and can head it off? In today's world, when we think of a hub, <clears throat> a multicultural center, a district of arts and business and finance and excitement, Filled with diversity and change, <clears throat> multiple voices and traditions with a window to the world, 
We think of places like New York or Miami or Los Angeles or New Orleans or London. Because we are a college town, perhaps we even have a neighborhood in our own city swirling with cultural richness where maybe more of our international students live. Thank you so much. Maybe I won't cough my head off. A little of each. Okay, well, magic elixirs. In Jesus' time, that was Capernaum. Now, um, the Hebrews call it Capernaum, and the people who speak it is Capernaum, but in southern Mississippi, it's Capernaum. So, Capernaum lay on the northeast, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, along a bustling um, road called the, the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea. It was named for um, the shoreline of the sea that it covered, <clears throat> and it had been a long trade route. The Way of the Sea, um, a busy road traversed daily by merchants and traders and officials and visitors, <clears throat> connected to the northern and eastern countries, and like what is today Syria and Turkey and Lebanon those countries, it was a way of tra- uh, traversing and having trade with Egypt. Passing through Palestine, Israel, what, what we call Palestine, Israel today. A kind of toll road, the, Ro- the Romans collected taxes on any commerce that passed through, and there were, they also taxed the catches coming in on the docks of the Sea of Galilee there in Capernaum. And if you go today, <clears throat> I went to maybe 12 or 15 years ago to Israel um, Capernaum has been excavated, and it is a pretty large-sized town. And they have excavated um, huge portions of it, even the synagogue and what they think is Peter's house and all those other things. So you can go and see, even see today. <clears throat> the city itself was a manufacturing center for olives and olive oil and all kinds of foodstuffs. You could hear a multitude of languages on the streets and on the docks, and news of all kinds travel throughout the region, just like it does in any town where lots of people come and go. Um, The road provided passage from southern Tyre, which is really close to what is today Tel Aviv, and uh, the the Galilean, I mean, um, that strait that's connected to um, Egypt, all the way to what is today Damascus. The area also held historical significance. I'm telling you all this story because it, excuse me, because it has impact on the way Jesus shares the faith. And I want us to talk about how we share ours. Where once 12 tribes of Israel ruled the region, in 722 B.C., the Assyrian kingdom came through. And the Assyrians um, were very much like some of the terrorist organizations today. When they came through, they wiped out everything. And so they blew up all of the forts and tore down everything that was there, uh, you know, burned all of the vineyards, uh, chopped down all the olive trees. <clears throat> and so the, the tribes of Israel, the ten northern tribes of Israel that had been there were scattered and intermarried with all the people that were resettled in that region. The tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali were the two tribes that were on the western shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> and they essentially disappeared, at least at the way we know it. Um, by their name. Displaced, they integrated with foreign cultures and forcefully were, they swallowed foreign ways and lost their language and their religion. They were the lost sheep of Israel. Once upon a time, irresponsible shepherds, according to Ezekiel, had led Israel's sheep astray and weakened the kingdom. But God promised to someday send a redeemer, a good savior, God's own self, who would search for the lost sheep and restore them to God. This would happen at the place where it all began, in Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles near Capernaum by the sea. Jesus' relocation from his family home in Nazareth to a multicultural, religious, and ethnically mixed region of northern Galilee was no mistake or coincidence. This was central to his ministry. Here, the silent voices of the lost tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali would be sought by God in the person of the Messiah. To this end, Jesus chose 12 primary disciples that we often call apostles and led them into the region, that whole area, searching for those who might still remain faithful or wish for redemption. This was no whim or spontaneous ministry. Jesus had planned this well. But how would he do it? Today, if you want to find your relatives 
All you have to do is do the genetic test on 23andMe or Ancestry.com and you find out you are related to half the state of Mississippi. <clears throat> In fact, uh, Julia Roberts recently, if you've, if you've been watching the news, found out that she's really not a Roberts. Um, she's a Mitchell. Her great-great-grandfather was not her grandfather because her great-great-grandmother had an affair with a neighbor whose name was Mitchell, and she's actually his great-great-granddaughter and not Mr. Roberts' great-granddaughter. Um, you know, family secrets really cannot hide in the reality of modern technology, and we have found some surprising relatives in my own family by the same method. In Jesus' time, seeking lost sheep was a bit harder. Many current relatives of those who were assimilated 700 years and countless generations earlier had been thoroughly inducted into non-Jewish customs and religion in everyday life. They did not remember their roots, their Jewishness, or their ancestors. Their knowledge of their own history may have been vague at best, yet a few held on. The most faithful carefully guarded the faith during the Assyrian conquest, the Babylonian takeover, and the later Persian rule and had secretly passed down their traditions, though undoubtedly corrupted to a degree by the foreign influences. Some had heard of the Messianic prophecy. Some were simply fascinated by their ancestors and genealogy or curious about Jewish faith. But they would definitely be curious about Jesus. His message would provide him his best opportunity to find them by putting his voice and message out there and letting them come to him. Now, Jesus sought out the lost of Israel by throwing his net wide to catch the attention of everyone in the region. Those coming and going, those who'd moved into foreign areas, those who now identified as Roman or Syrian or Phoenician or otherwise, those who worshiped foreign gods, those who worshiped in one or two synagogues erected there by the sea. He sought them from the trade routes, the industries, the vineyards, the hills. He taught in public places or from his home near the Via Maris, where even those moderate with moderate curiosity, could come and hear him. He taught from a boat and the sea itself. He taught from the shores and the docks. He taught from the hillsides. He taught from the rooms in his own home. He taught in the synagogues. He taught and healed as he walked along the road. He encountered countless people in whom something stirred when he spoke of good news and salvation and redemption. Soon, Word about Jesus' teaching and proclaiming and baptizing and healing spread like wildfire up and down that Via Maris, the way of the sea, across borders into regions entirely Gentile as well as into the center of Judaism, Jerusalem itself. While he drew fascinations of foreigners and Jews and Romans alike, the centrists, the establishment in Judea, were a little more nervous about his teaching, inviting everyone who would come to know God. Those disciples, such as Simon and Andrew and James and John that we read about today in the text, who hail from successful fishing industries around the Sea of Galilee, would understand Jesus' method. Fishermen at that time used a heavy, broad, wide net in order to catch an abundance of fish. If you remember any of the fishing stories where Jesus tells them to cast their net over the side of the boat, it's a huge net. They would throw out the net indiscriminately and pull in the catch. Afterward, they would sort the fish throw back the crustaceans or undesirable sea creatures, and keep the remaining fish searching for the prize catch. And the only way they can ensure the largest possible catch of their favorite fish, by the way, the fish that was most edible and most desired in the Sea of Galilee is tilapia that we have today. You can buy in any supermarket in America. Um, it's called St. Peter's fish if you go there. <clears throat> the only way to do that is catch everything and then just sort it out later. Those, this, in essence, was Jesus' evangelistic method, his shepherd search team method, if you will. He would pull in every sheep he could. He would teach them all. Those who remained would become part of his flock. Those whom he couldn't reach, he would not continue to pursue. He would start in Capernaum, his home base for communications, and he would proceed to teach and heal and proclaim in every town along the way of the sea, that road that runs north and south there. Some came for the novelty of who he was, just like we're all drawn to kind of dramatic experiences. Some came because of the novelty of who Jesus was. Some came for the food. Remember, he fed a lot of people. Some were simply curious, but many found his message hauntingly beautiful and excitingly hopeful. 
They would again be accepted into the faith of their ancestors, but with a different twist. For in searching for the lost sheep of Israel, he would also, as Ezekiel prophesied, become a light to all the nations of the known world. He would draw them all in, accept them as his sheep, and redefine what it really meant to be Jewish, what it meant to be chosen, what it meant to be followers, what it meant to be Israel. This was the way of the sea and was the beginning of the way of Jesus. By the way, you know, early Christianity wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way of Jesus. Jesus would start a movement that would sweep through every country in the entire known world, a movement that was inclusive and revolutionary and inspiring and for all the powers that be at that time quite dangerous. He would call tax collectors working for Rome, Syrophoenicians, soldiers, radicals, trained students of the synagogue. He would teach Samaritans, foreigners from Tyre and Sidon, women and children. He would pronounce the year of Jubilee and set God's people free to become part of God's diversified kingdom. No matter who they were, no matter their history, no matter their ancestry or their nation. In doing so, he would set the world on its head and set the minds of the Jewish elite in Jerusalem toward worrying surveillance. Nothing like this had ever happened before. As we learn about Jesus' ministry in the years leading up to the time of Lent, that's coming up really fast now for us, and his impending death, we need to understand deeply and earnestly the radical and unusual nature of Jesus' ministry and mission. You know, we have so normalized so many things that we forget how radical the message really is. He had a mission to do, God's mission, to seek out the lost and shine the light of God onto every nation of the world. And he would not stop until he had completed that mission. Did he have chutzpah? For sure. Was it dangerous? You bet. This is our heritage. If you are a believer, this is our heritage. That is your Savior. Not the milk toast, sugary, sweet, calm guy we often depict in Christian art. But a fiercely determined, street-savvy, multilingual, disruptive leader of a movement that would change the world as people knew it. He would never give up on anyone, and still doesn't, by the way. He would never stop looking for every single one of God's lost people. Scared of change? Don't like disruption? then don't follow Jesus. But if you do, get ready for your world and your assumptions to change because Jesus, he's all about finding the lost sheep. And you're either in with him or you're not. Today I ask you, do you believe that you have a faith worth sharing? Do you believe you have a faith worth sharing? Not necessarily via a tract with the four spiritual laws that you whip out and start reciting to somebody, or no, not necessarily with making somebody sit down and read a Bible text with you. But does your faith impact your life and choices enough that when somebody asks you about yourself, you think you have something worth sharing? Most Christians, at least here in the Bible Belt, have vacated the belief sharing space to hardcore evangelicals. But belief and life is so much larger than traditionally understood by most of the evangelical traditions. Christianity is much bigger than just the somewhat narrow bandwidth that some of our brothers and sisters share. Just as long ago, all we have to do is look around us to know that the lost, those who long for meaning in their lives and have no source to find it, are looking for what we've got. Can we bend to open our heart and faith enough to cast the net wide and catch all kinds of fish? Or do the fish need to be just like us? Are you ready to do some fishing? Are you ready to do some sheep searching? Then don't head down to your local watering home where everybody already knows you. Live your life and share what you know about God with those who ask, no matter if they are much like you or not. 
It's that easy. And by the way, you're not responsible for their acceptance or the transformation of their lives. That's God's work, by the way. I think sometimes we think we're, they have to have a decision that we see and they have to say, pray the sinner's prayer just like we say it to them. You're not responsible for that part. I mean, if they ask you for that part, share it. But God's responsible for that part. In those moments of sharing what God has done in your life, that's where you'll find Jesus. Just waiting for you to join him in casting that net wide and finding those sheep. Jesus never stops. Will we stop? Lord, we are often so reluctant to tell what we know about you and our faith. Help it to be as natural as sharing about our children or talking about our sports team. God, make it so in all of us. Amen. faith is not simplistic it is simple it's you and so as you come today may we all ask the Lord to help us naturally share what he's done for us with people that we encounter and may we not be so self-conscious that we stop before we can share it on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us he took the bread blessed it broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup, blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood shed for you and the sins of many. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. This is the feast of the Lord for God's people. Come and share in its bounty. Um, I'm going to ask... If Patrice Seal and her daughter would come help me serve, because her husband's got a little disability this today, and if um, let's see who else, the lights in my eyes, the Calhouns, would y'all come and help me serve, please? <clears throat>
Amen. Have you ever read a really good book that you just had to feel like you just had to tell somebody about, or like you saw a movie, or like we got back from Disney World. I was telling all the people about my Disney World experience because it was incredible. Uh, if you want to talk to me about that, let me know. Um, but have we ever allowed ourselves to be transformed so much by Jesus that we just want to share in that same way? Right? So I challenge you to think about that this week as we go on uh, with our lives this week. We do have some announcements uh, to make here, uh, here on the screen. Uh, meet our new bishop. We've talked about this uh, last week, but our new bishop, Sharma Lewis, will be conducting a, I just call it a lunch, but a chat and chew at First UMC in Wiggins. Um, there's a schedule as follows. Let us know if you plan to attend so we can make sure um, everything will work out. And if you have questions, please let us know. We'll help you get that information. One of the most amazing commitments that you, that you do, that we do as a congregation here at Main Street, is to pray for a child each day throughout the month of February. So if you're wanting to participate in our Heart of a Child prayer, uh, prayer heart, uh, you can simply pick up one of these prayer hearts outside the fellowship hall or in the narthex by the sanctuary. Uh, Sweetheart Ball for the Children's Ministry will be celebrating Valentine's Day with a child Sunday, February 12th or Sunday the 19th uh, at 4.30 right here in the Fellowship Hall. If you're wishing to celebrate a child and want to attend with them, you are welcome to do so. Um, all the details are there in the newsletter. If you have questions or concerns about that, please let Susan know and we can get you that information. Uh, we have Sunday night youth group tonight. We're uh, going to our second installment of our new series, How to See God. Uh, we have dinner beginning at 5.30. Our doors open at 5 o'clock. We would love for you to join us. It's been a great time, and we, we hope uh, if there's a student here that would like to come, please come and hang out with us. It'll be awesome. Uh, on February 19th, Main Street will have a combined worship service at 10 a.m. in the sanctuary, followed by a reception in the fellowship hall for Mary Jo. I think the announcement got uh, messed up there. For Mary Jo Jackson. So if you want to um, contribute a love offering similar to what we did for Ed, uh, you want to do for Mary Jo, please mark it in the memo line of your check. And like I said, February 19th, there will be a reception following our combined service right here in the fellowship hall. All right, that's all we have for you today. Enjoy your Sunday, and you are dismissed to be the church.